Good evening, church. It's great to be with you all on such a special occasion. Welcome to our Good Friday service. If you're here for the first time, you're very welcome. Um, if you're not here for the first time, you're also very welcome. We as a church have been going through the whole month of April um, on a journey to the cross. Uh, we've heard the purpose, the person, the preparation, and the punishment of the cross. And this, tonight, we're going to hear about the power of the cross. This is Good Friday. We're going to remember Jesus' sacrifice we already have, and we will go on to mark one of the most his historic and most brutal actions in all of history. It's an event that has changed the world, an event that has divided the world, an event in which many think of today as much just a long weekend, a time off work, bank holiday, four-day weekend, but it means so much more. I'm going to begin by reading from Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3, but first I'm going to pray. Father, tonight I pray that whatever's spoken, whatever's said, Lord, it'll be about you. Whatever's taken away, it will be about you tonight, Lord. Not of me, not of anything else, not of the worship, not of any one person apart from you and the sacrifice in which you paid. Lord, thank you for it, and Lord, bless our meeting. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Begin by reading Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I just want to focus on that first verse to start off with, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So often we go along and kind of rationalize sin and normalize it, using words as a struggle, battle, weakness, or whatever else. We think of ourselves and compare ourselves to other people, whether it's looking at them and thinking, well, I'm not as bad as that person, I'm not a murderer, I, I'm not going to jail, there's nothing wrong with me. But our sins are sin. There is no levels, sin is sin. In fact, these verses tell us that sin leads to death. We are dead in our sin, and that is it. It is serious. It is not worth taking for granted. The definition of sin is simply this. It is rebelling against God and what he has commanded. So even though sin may seem small, maybe it's a lie or whatever else, an act is an act that leads to ultimate death. Our passage then goes on to say the following the course of this world. Everything around us in our world is pushing us in a direction, a direction that's away from God. It's to, our world today is obsessed with self, obsessed with finding our identity in ourselves, satisfying what's in ourselves, do whatever makes you happy. We live in a culture and society that only cares about self. We only care about what we can get out of people and situations, whether it's adverts pushing us towards lust and jealousy, towards cars, houses, you name it. Instagram leading us into covering other people's lives. News channels driving us into hatred but, and getting profit off the back of it. Our very course of this world is a course towards sin and ultimate separation from God. A pastor once said this, sin destroys four things, our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with others, our relationship with the world. See, Ephesians 2 says this, that it is deeper than actions, it goes farther, further than actions. It starts in the mind. No sinful action in history ever has ever been done without a buildup of thoughts and feelings, whether this is lust, jealousy, hatred, you name it. 
Our verses put it this way, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we all lived, not some of us, all of us lived in those. Romans 1, Paul describes us as preferring the creation rather than the creator himself. We have not cared for God, we don't care for him as such, we care about what he can give us, how he can make our lives better. If we all examine our hearts, that's our hearts tonight, that's ultimately we are born into a nature of sin. In the same chapter in Romans 1, Paul goes on to say that we've believed a lie. We believe that within ourselves we are smarter than God, we know better than God. We believe that we know better for our own lives. See, this is a lie that Adam and Eve believed when sin first entered the world at the very start. Eve believed she knew better than God and directly disobeyed what God said about the tree. God told Eve not to eat from the tree of knowledge, but instead she believed the lie of the serpent. She believed she knew better than what God had commanded, so she ate of the tree and sin into the world. I used to believe that regarding Adam and Eve, I used to think, how can I ever be blamed for Adam and Eve? Like, I mean, like, how can I be blamed for my sin? They let sin into the world. They, it's almost like kids fighting and the parents tell them off and, well, they started it. Like, they let it into the world in the first place. But in reality, if I examine my own heart, if we examine our own hearts, we do this time and time again. The truth is, if I had been in that garden at that time, I would have ate from the tree. I would have disobeyed God. Daily I do that myself. The verses say, we live daily in the passions of our own flesh. This leads to separation from God, and this is why God despises sin so much. However, like all crimes and all wrongdoings, there must be a punishment. The Bible tells us that the punishment for sin is death. That's why Paul in, this pa- in the passage of Ephesians 2 describes us dead within our sin. That was our state. We had no hope in life. We have, no, we have chosen to rebel. We have chosen to be separate from God. It required from God, for God to come and meet us to pay the price, which leads us to the cross. So God sent his own son, living a perfect life, and paid the brutal price of the cross. Jesus was brutally beaten. His garments were divided and fought over, spat on time and time again, mocked and laughed at, whipped with the most brutal of instruments, a crown of thorns crushed into his head. He had nails into his wrists at either side of the cross. His feet were at the bottom and the cross right through the bottom. They were over each other. He, could, he was in a slouched down position and the only way to get up was to push against the nails at the bottom of his feet and lift his body up and take a breath and back down again. Each breath was met with agonizing pain. We don't need to look at the, nature, the brutal nature of the cross to know how seriously God takes sin. It's not to be played down, it's not to be excused or laughed at, it's not to be played around with it at all. Our sin had an immense price and it was paid for on that day. I want to look at Matthew 27, verse 46. It says this, it was in the final hours of Jesus on the cross. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He lifted his body up upon that nail, driving excruciating pain through his whole body, blood dripping from his brow, body completely exhausted. There in that moment, Jesus was experiencing the very forsakenness of God that we had deserved and we had chosen. He did not deserve this. He lived a completely sinless life, a life close to God, never rebelled against God, never chose, chose God's way at every turn, at every opportunity, he chose God's way. Yet he was experiencing the forsakenness of God for our sake. See, the, the commentators say this. It says that the original translation was not 
it says in ours, crying out with a loud voice. They say that the original was more of a shriek. It wasn't easy. It wasn't painful. It was an absolute shriek. It's a horrible scene, a scene, however, that we chose. We were not able to save ourselves. Nothing was in us would ever be enough. It took for him who was sinless to step in, for God to send his son. But not only this, was he crying out because he felt the forsakenness of God. He was crying out because he was quoting scripture. Psalm 22, verse 1 says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? See, this was a psalm written by David over 500 years before this event took place. Jesus on the cross wasn't only, he was experiencing the forsaken of God, but he wasn't only that, he was quoting scripture. The people at the present time didn't realize this. They thought that he was calling upon Elijah. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. They believed Elijah. He was calling Elijah to come down and save him. However, they missed the point. He was pointing towards the cross. Psalm 22 then goes on to say about various different things that happened to Jesus on the cross. Verse 7 says, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. They divide my garments among them, and from my clothing they cast lots. See, the scholars tell us this. None of this happened to David. No, part, no time in David's life was David's hands and feet pierced. See, yes, somehow in God's wonderful plan, David was using poetry to describe what would happen to Jesus on the cross. Not even David knew, however, Jesus was doing that. However, going towards Jesus. So Jesus not only saying the forsakenness of God in that moment, he's also saying it was all part of God's plan. He knew what was going on. He knew what was happening. The Jews and Roman soldiers were not, were not taking his life that day. He was laying it down for them. At any moment on that cross, he could have called a legion of angels down to save him from the agonizing pain and the forsakenness of God. However, he chose not to. It was all part of God's plan and promise. See, God promised in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve first did disobey God, he said he would send a savior whose heel would be struck by the serpent, but the savior would ultimately be crushed the serpent's head. On that day at Calvary, when Jesus gave up his spirit, darkness thought it had won. The Pharisees believed they had killed the biggest threat. The Romans believed they crucified another lunatic. Thank God we know different. Thank God that we know that every nail that the Roman soldiers were driving into his wrist were fulfilling God's plan of salvation for our own lives. Psalm 22 finishes by saying this. It says, Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the coming to the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. This echo, this Psalm of David 500, day, 500 years before of the cross echoes exactly what Pastor Matt spoke about there in John 19. Oh. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Our hope is simply found in those words finished. He has done it. Not I, but he has done it. As Pastor Matt said, tetelestai, it is finished. It's simply tetelestai, which means paid in full. All of our punishment, all of our sin were paid for at the cross of Jesus. Every one of our sins, past, present, future upon him, it was paid for when he cried those words. A debt that was far too big for us to ever pay. He took our place, living the perfect life that we should have lived. He died the, perfect life, he died the death that we should have died. Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the only true answer to that was it was for you and it was for me.
Verse 30 of Psalm 22 is on the screen there. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation that they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. Church, we are the people yet unborn. Jesus upon that cross, quoting Psalm 22, had his eyes upon us in 2022 on the Shankill estate in Belfast that our sins will be forgiven, our debt is paid, and as a result, we would proclaim his righteousness. I just want to finish by reading back over Ephesians 2, but going to verse 6 this time. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 4 tells us that it was the great love in which he loved us that was the reason why. Romans 5 verse 8, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was love that caused him to do it. He looked down and saw us helpless. It was love that motivated him. What a love that we do not deserve. A love that we have all chosen to forsake time and time again. A love that we've chosen to walk away from. As the song we sang earlier said, What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. He knew your sin, he knew my sin, the sin that nobody ever sees, the thoughts that nobody ever knows. He knows them, yet he chose to love us. Tim Keller sums up the gospel as this. You are more sinful than you ever imagined, yet you are more loved and accepted than you ever dreamed, thanks to the cross. You are more sinful than you ever imagined, yet you are more loved and accepted than you ever dreamed. God lacking nothing, he needs nothing, yet he chose to bridge the gap. He chose to go through the pain and go through the sacrifice by sending his son. The power of the cross is this. For those who trust in him, God looks down and no longer sees our sin, our dirtiness, our debt, our wicked thoughts, our selfish actions. God looks down upon us and sees the sacrifice of his son and counts us redeemed. No longer seeing it anymore, he counts us redeemed. Our verses go further and says we are raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Even though God locks nothing, he chose to bring us near. Even though we have chosen separation, God has chosen to bring us near. For those who trust in him tonight, this is what we can be sure of. Regardless of what life throws our way, whether it's rejection, sickness, heartbreak, stress, anxiety, we as Christians can be sure of one thing. Because of the, great, because of the cross, we will spend eternity in the heavenly places with Jesus. Through no work or power of our own, it's all because of the cross. See, these verses of Ephesians 2 were written for a reason. Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was a city in Greece, in ancient Greece, and the ancient Greeks had a motto, and it was this, God helps those who help themselves. The gods help those who help themselves. And Paul is writing these verses to say one thing, and it's Ephesians 2, is this, God helps the helpless. The story of the part of the gospel is that God helps the helpless. We were all children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, God helps the helpless. 
The rest of the world are trying to help themselves. Every other religion is trying to help themselves. They're trying to be enough. We know tonight that God helps to help us and stood in the gap for our place, took our place upon that cross, and he paid the debt we could not pay. I don't know where you stand tonight with Jesus. If you're a Christian, I pray that you'll leave here rejoiced and, and your debt has been paid. If you're not a Christian, you have a question to answer, and it's this. What is Jesus to you? What do you do with him? He, can, he simply can't be a good man. He simply can't be just an example. He can't just be another way to live, another good way of living your life. He has to be your savior or he's nothing at all. You have, an an, you have a question for that tonight. You have to give an answer and it's between you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bridging the gap. Thank you for paying the great debt in which we could not pay upon that cross. Thank you, Lord, that you knew what it would mean to us tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you went all the way, not turned to the left or to the right, Lord. You've seen it through to completion. You're obedient to death, Lord. And Lord, we will be eternally grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.